Before we begin our first episode back from our big break, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which myself and Anthony are now recording, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And since Max and I are here in LA, I'd also like to acknowledge the original custodians of the land, the Gabrielenio people. We have always believed strongly that movies have power. We love movies for their ability to reflect the world and speak difficult truths, their capacity to, in, uh, to um, educate and condemn and generally affect the societal discourse around just about anything, for better or for worse. As you know, we also believe that discussing cinema is a pivotal element to the equation of art creating change. A lot has happened in the world since we have been on break, with the devastating, infuriating death of George Floyd sparking the biggest civil rights movement of all time. We unabashedly support the Black Lives Matter movement and are committed to using our platform to discuss how cinema reflects all facets of life for minorities. kids hide your wife hide your bunnies who's wild enough to stick it in crazy not once but twice our hero michael douglas is here to cheat on his wife and chew bubblegum and he's all out of bubblegum boiling bunnies cheating on your honey swinging ice picks and michael douglas dick i'm eliza jansen i'm not jansen and i'm max Kronick. welcome to twin picks ah! <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I love movies. Welcome to Twin Picks, the show where a pair of actual real-life human twins and also me, their other sister, make a double feature out of two movies that share some kind of similarity and then decide which one we believe does its job better. <sighs> woo, 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 woo. That was a, a more chaotic opening has never, has never been, has never existed. So. That was no, crazy. No, yeah, your song when you did oh, that my long song. Christmas carol. Oh, I will never. Rocking th- around the Christmas tree. That will forever be the most disappointed I've been on the show because I couldn't, I was so like nervous for it that I just couldn't get through it. I just laughed the whole time. Oh, I put a lot of work okay. into that. Yeah, it's fine. But yeah, they, they were really good. When, in the break, we were saying it sounded like good Stephen job, Colbert, Max like Brady. a writer's room. Thank yeah. you, Eliza Jansen. <laughs> now I'm never going to want just one intro line. I'm going to want like 12. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. It's so nice to be back and doing a podcast. Yeah, it's so great. It is being forced apart because of coronavirus. Like it, it was okay. The long distance wasn't that bad, but it was like corona not letting Anthony come in and engineer stuff that literally has just that he break. couldn't come to this house. Yeah, it felt a bit naughty to have him come, so we thought we'd take a break. Hmm. Um 
And a very random one, we could have like opened with two films that are like about hope or about like restoring the world. These nah. aren't about that. <laughs> um, we also also should say that um, our my wonderful little twin, Megan, isn't here at the moment because she's busy studying to actually do real shit, like to be a lawyer. Like she's working really hard at the yeah. moment. It's like the busiest time of the year Is for one her. of the characters in this a lawyer? Is Michael Douglas a lawyer in... Um, he's like a copy isn't he like he's like yeah he's a lawyer in some sense in fatal attraction isn't he it's for like what is it it's um he's like a book boy right he's like a a book he's like a lawyer for books and stuff no he's a lawyer for books Mm. because like they're publishing a book and it's like if you if because it's like a biography and they're worried that the person writing the biography will get sued by the person that they're writing the book about and they're like the lawyer for her yes yeah. That's Meg. Yeah. yeah. So that's Meg. That's what she's doing. Indeed. She's living that legally blonde se- yeah. se- sequel lifestyle, maybe. Oh, yeah. no, more the first Is one. Is that I what guess. happens yeah. in the second one? No, you're right. It's no, just in the, the first one, one she's, she's in law school. She's learning law. The yeah, second she one, she's trying to get into yeah. Congress. It doesn't seem as fun as that movie, definitely. She, she just mostly seems like she's working hard and she's stressed. But yeah, yeah good job, Meg. Yeah. She's never going to listen to this. Woo! We all know that, but good for Meg. <laughs> yeah. And in her place, big old loser Max over there is joining us. How do you yeah. think called a loser? I <laughs> uh, gotta say, it doesn't feel great. <laughs> it's pretty demoralizing over here at yeah. the moment. And uh, that doesn't help. Well, hey, you came Just in, um, you definitely left your stamp love on, on the podcast last time you came by assembling the only Avengers that matter, the um, the sexual assault Avengers. The so se- let's see the, how you yeah. do this time. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, man. This movie has a lot of assault as well. Does huh? it? Oh, well, yeah, 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 these but movies are just as problematic. Actual. Yeah, but I don't think anyone was method in this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, very yeah. true. I would be sad if Mikey Douglas, well, he's probably done something insensitive at some point because he's a man who grew up before men had to be good, but like still, he probably. <laughs> yeah. he, his he, dad is Kirk Douglas who does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of, I have a big <laughs> thing with, okay, there are five actors, let's see if I can remember them all, who I literally just cannot, I don't know which one's <gasps> which, okay? Emilio, can I guess? Yeah, I think everybody gets a lot of them. You try and guess them all. Yeah. Okay, Michael Douglas and Michael Sheen. Yeah. Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton, maybe? Oh, no. That's like, a classic. All as the same. This all, is all, like these are five people, people that are interchangeable, completely interchangeable. <laughs> all, Michael, Michael Douglas is my favorite of all of them, by the way. All the Chris's? No, well, they're their own party. <laughs> okay. They're their right. own party. The, the Hemsworth and Evans and Pine, um, Pine and, yeah. Pratt and Pratt are all there's their like, own thing, yes. It's, there's like regular acting and there's Chris acting. Yeah, there's Chris Brown acting. No, it's Emilio Estevez, Michael Douglas, Michael Sheen, Charlie Sheen and Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Whoa. Yes. Exhausting. Who knows? All the same person. But Michael Douglas Make is my favorite. Make a script for all of them. <laughs> that would be cool. And they're all doing a heist. Or it's something. the Breakfast Club, but they're all. There. Oh yeah, we picked very different <laughs> movies. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, great. Love, love, love. It's literally Seven Samurai, but <laughs> <laughs> Seven Samurai. No, that's next episode. Oh Shut yeah, up. yeah. Ah. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, Liz, do you want to say what the movies are? We probably should have said that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Both of the movies we're doing this episode are erotic thrillers that came out around the late 80s, early 90s, starring Michael Douglas as a nasty, sleazy guy. And to me, both of these movies have very similar titles. The titles are Basic Instinct, which came out in 1992, 
and Fatal Attraction, which came out in 1987, a few years before. And they and have to identical me, that's like posters. The same title. They have the exact same poster of it's like white. Oh yeah. Um, it's a white poster. Uh, they're both uh, <laughs> like their shirts are a bit undone or completely off. Michael Douglas is facing away from the the frame, and the erotic, crazy woman is um like half obscured behind you, like like hugging him, and we see her yes. like ominous eyes. Um, they're She's so like staring out at the audience. Like, yeah, literally, they're they're so similar that these there's a there's one of those dumb spoof movies about this, like one of those like scary movie things. It's called Fatal Attraction. Because it's wait, like no, the, fatal, wait, no, fatal that's the actual movie. It's, it's genuinely instinct, called yeah. Basic Attraction. Mean, wait, oh yeah, the Fatal, a- fatal <laughs> yeah. Attraction's the movie. <laughs> fatal, actually, instinct. fatal Instinct. Fatal Instinct. Yeah, that's right. Which I did not watch for this because I don't want to do that. But we're good, yeah, we're it fine. exists. Yeah, which shows you how similar basic, these, are. these are. Yeah, Basic Attraction just seems like it would be like a mumblecore movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a boring maths movie. or something. Yeah, like something Joe Swanberg would have done in like two thousand like ten or something. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that actually. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Yeah. But had we all seen I think Max you'd seen both of these movies before, right? Yes. I have Whereas randomly I have not seen Basic Instinct. I have randomly seen both of these movies. I'm gonna say I reckon I've seen Fatal Attraction like four times and this is my third Jeez. Basic Instinct. I've seen these movies a fair Ooh. a few times. I don't know why. I have yeah, a fatal head. never seen these films, but I've experienced them through other podcasts like upwards of five times. Oh. Interesting. Like, Did I, the podcast specifically talk about the movies or just like the yeah, gender yeah. stuff in them? Because uh, they're obviously like real, oh. they're really interesting ones to talk about now, I reckon, actually. The like, main ones that are coming to mind is um, a podcast called The Bechdel Cast by right. two <laughs> US women and they just do film reviews, but they only look at one film at a time because they're noobs week lame pod podcast world but um yeah they they definitely broke these down at various yeah. points in i time. think they're really interesting ones to talk about actually i've been very uh, excited to talk about them mm. i wouldn't think they'd have that much material these movies are so respectful towards women <laughs> yeah truly truly yes these like might as well have been like funded by you know the christian church themselves like mm. this is like absolutely beautiful stuff yeah very artsy shit what are we? What are we starting with? I think let's go chronologically and start with Fatal Attraction. Okay, right? let's yeah. do it. Right. Love it. Sounds good. Fatal Attraction is a film directed by Adrian Lin. Am I crazy? Yes, Adrian Lin or Line. I don't know. I think Lin. Lin, I Lin. think. And it was released in 1987, and it's the story of Michael Douglas, a normal family man, sleazebag, book lawyer guy, just mm. like Meg Jansen. <laughs> <laughs> Meg Jansen stand in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious he's meant to be Meg, but like they just had to cast Michael Douglas. But they had to be cheeky about it. Yeah. <laughs> he really nails yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> he does nail it. Um, yeah, and he begins a sordid affair with a slightly unhinged Glenn Close, who has some really odd styling choices in this movie. And eventually yeah, his I have wife to agree. finds out. Her hair yeah. looks insane in this movie. Anyway, yes, onwards. Well, Sorry. we just get right to it and, like, question why she made these decisions. Like, like having no eyebrows, eyebrows. Bleached eyebrows. Yeah. yeah what was that about? Insane stuff. It is weird. I, I can't deny it. It's very weird. Yeah. 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 That was but the first character- thing that Darcy was commenting on when we watched it. That's all she could say. She was like, her hair looks insane. Like, what is she wearing? Yeah. Yeah. 
It's pretty wild. And like his wife is so, I guess like it's all on purpose. Like his wife seems so like pretty in a normal way. And it's just like yeah. a nice like wife character. Mm. And you do sort of find yourself thinking in a sick way, being like, dude, why would you risk it? Like she does look pretty crazy. Or like from the first time they meet, it's like, oh, she is very intense. <laughs> like yeah. you do like you do sort of like, oh, I mean, we're already getting into the question of who is the victim in this movie, but I felt myself victim blaming a bit and being like, why did you go out with her? When actually it's like, well, it's a bit more complex than that. Like I really do just judge her on appearance, which well, is not nice. In his defense, yeah. he can't really help it. He has a fatal attraction. Whoa. Remember, he even has that line. Sorry, I have a fatal attraction. Is that Michael Douglas? Yeah, that's that's my that's my very <laughs> mediocre Michael Douglas. That was a good Mickey Doug. <laughs> Mickey Dewey. No, that's McDonald's Mickey D. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Have we had a discussion Whatever. before about our like collective thoughts on films that say the title of the film in the film? We love a plug. Yeah, mm. it's very good. Wait, sometimes good title drops. Yeah, a good title drop. It's a, a good hearty title drop. Mm. Definitely makes a movie. Yeah, for sure, okay. for sure. How do you do? Do they get on your nerves or something, Anthony? Uh like, oh, I, there's it, there are degrees, you know. Like mm. I I recently watched because I wanted to catch up on our back catalogue. I watched How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. And oh, but that's fine. <laughs> in that movie, it's about the... Yeah, for sure. But, like, they say it, like, it's worded exactly like the title. Like, they don't do different, like, syntactical yeah, arrangements sure, of that sure. idea. They say the exact title, yeah. like, upwards of three times. And yeah. It's, yeah. Also, yeah, I don't want to, like, mm. retread that episode, but also it's only one character that has to say it a million times. Like, yeah. Kate Hudson's editor, her only purpose is to be like, how's that article going? How to lose a guy in 10 days. And she does it, like, every half hour in the movie that's <laughs> yeah, like oh i'm so glad you reminded me what i was writing i completely lost myself <laughs> down this like relationship rabbit hole I forgot why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> do you guys have a favorite title drop of all time jeez oh, um i i i'm sure there are ones that are amazing but like i, I really can't think of it hmm. i think one that like I feel like this I'm is I'm gonna look it up overdone, but it's just because it's exactly what we're talking about. I like in Hot Tub Time Machine when they're like it's like some kind of Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah, and they but do then it I feel like, like a, a million yeah. other comedy yeah. movies have done that too. I, Back to I, the I Future is pretty mass- dope. In Back to the Future, when they say it, that's pretty. That's pretty sick. We You're have like, to go Ooh. Back to the Future. Hmm. My probably the most masterful title drop of all time, in my opinion, is in Problem Child Two, <laughs> um, <laughs> when um, Junior the Problem Child. Problem child in question. Yeah, the the titular problem child. Actually, he's not the titular problem child in this one. Oh it's God. another girl when he says, "Wait a minute, she's a problem child too." Oh my! Oh, that's, like that. that's so genius. bad. That, yeah, oh. it's incredible. That's like just an all around incredible yeah. movie. I'm too. actually. I just looked it up and I saw one that literally like made me a little bit sick looking at it. It's so true. How fucking horrible is it when they're like, "We're the Patsies. We're some kind of Suicide Squad." Oh. oh. That Shot became a meme for a long mouth. time, too. Shut up. <laughs> That's not what I mean. Anyway, sorry. How will yeah. you feel when they change it to <laughs> we're James Gunn's Suicide Squad? The, the Suicide Squad. Just That'll be even chunkier to, to try to fit in. Yeah. Oh, wait. It's so the other way around. They add the the, right? They yeah. add the oh, the. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, back to Glenn Close's. <laughs> outfits she wore an outfit at one point where she's wearing a leather jacket and it had such big shoulders that it made her head look like a little orange on top of like a big block and it made me worry for her Adrian but also Lynn she's pretty tremendous in this movie so sad at 
<laughs> the conversations that I've ever said about this movie so far. Um, yeah, talk about like women tearing other women down. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but you're so right that I think um, like the obvious thing that we still remember at this movie is her character. And I, I really think it's such an interesting one to talk about because this is a movie where like every, all my feelings are tied about this movie are tied to her character. Um, she's been outspoken about being like, I was really distraught at that they chose the ending that they did because she wanted a different ending. Yeah. And she's always like, I'm regarded as, you know, that role is regarded as one of the greatest villains of all time and it wasn't supposed to be. And that is the heart of, like, the movie's main problem. But I think we like we can get to that, I guess. But, like, she is terrific in this film. I think she sells material that I don't like by the end. Like... Um, this, this movie possibly has one of my biggest disparities from like where I start with the film to where I end up with the film. Um, mm. It really has like the most horrible third act where um, I don't know, like there's, there's so much to talk about it, but like it, the movie literally like gaslights the character, like the whole movie it positions that the, the first hour and a half is a, or not even hour and a half. Like the first hour is about, infidelity and about how complicated that is and then the movie decides that it doesn't know how to talk about infidelity so it just makes her crazy yeah yeah i agree what do you it's think? like at some point so i think around the midpoint of the movie alex and michael douglas don't remember his character's name mm. they've like obviously had unprotected sex and she's gotten pregnant. Dan Gallagher. Dan Gallagher, your favorite movie character. Of all <laughs> yeah, <time>. iconic <laughs> movie character. Oh, my God, whatever. In Okay, let's just say in, in Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct, Michael Douglas is not the draw card. Like, who cares kind of. I love Michael but, um, Douglas, so I really like him and he sells his characters. But I, my, it's my big casting. My big compare the picks thing is about the Michael Douglas character, so I'll, I'll leave that for now. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, um, you were saying? Anyway. She gets pregnant and he's like, well, of course you're going to abort. And she's like, no, actually, I'm like, I want to know if you're going to be around to help. And he like gets pissed off. And I think it does raise this interesting question of like, what obligation do people have to each other in that scenario? Because he's like, what the hell? I thought we made it really, really clear that we were just sort of having like this sordid affair. It was a one time thing. And she's I think her argument is implicitly like, yeah, well, now I'm pregnant. Like things have changed and like Mm. it's my decision what I'm going to do about it. And the movie never answers that question for me. It like, doesn't. It doesn't at happens. all. Yeah. It just sort of is like, well, it works itself she out. was sort of crazy about that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it it um it implies, like, it, it makes such valid points and then, like, forgets it, it made them. Like, it does. I think it's so ripe for a remake. Like, I think all the themes that this movie doesn't know how to deal with, we're much better at talking about now, about, like, how toxic, essentially, it's like a dude can be in the sense that, like, you know, or everything you just said, Liz, about that interaction where he's being like, oh, you knew what this was and stuff. Like, he's so irresponsible with her feelings. He never sets up the yeah. conditions of the affair. He never sets up his... Like, he just assumes that she knows, can read his mind. Um, and then that's, like, really interesting. And then uh, uh, it isn't that you can't have a movie about it being like he's gone, like, you know, had this fatal attraction and then she turns out to be <laughs> Some kind really of unhinged. Fatal attraction. Stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> she turns out to be really unhinged. It's not about that. It's about the fact that the movie sets up an infidelity that's fully, like, both parties entered into it, but then the movie acts like he deserves 
for her to just die. Yeah. Like, I don't think the movie encourages people. I, wrote down, I don't think the movie encourages people to act differently or treat people differently at all. It does the literal yeah. exact opposite. It implies that you have to be careful because you might get unfairly like entrapped by this like evil vixen yeah. lady, which is the opposite of what this should be about. It should be about being like you as a person are responsible for other people's feelings and you can't act selfishly. Yeah. And that, you know, he, he doesn't, does like she as crazy as things get he's so irresponsible and then the movie wants you to feel bad for him the whole time for the last like hour and it does not work like that element it's of it so, is like, so bad moralizing and just convenient the way it all wraps up well it starts out fairly realistic and then it just becomes a total straw man mm. when she kidnaps their daughter yeah like, takes the daughter out on this roller coaster ride right like, yeah. it's it's one it's one of the cases uh this is a definitive case of a movie where halfway through the characters become flanderized mm. uh which Do you explain flanderized? For, yeah for the folks at home uh flanderization <laughs> refers to ned flanders who in the simpsons started out as just a fairly good guy christ he was just a nice yeah he was just neighbor. a nice neighbor went to church and then by like season 10 as the series went on he just became a more and more exaggerated version of of that. So he's just like a comical, naive, goody mm. two shoes, uh, Jesus guy. So they just take one or two traits and then suddenly he's just defined by that. Um, mm. so flanderization just refers to when a character becomes an exaggerated version of themselves. And you think that happens with Alex? I do. Yeah. Do I completely agree. <laughs> I, well, love I mean, that. at first she's, I love that. Well, shit. I mean, I mean, the thing is when she's introduced in the movie, she's fairly normal. And by the end of the movie, you're just like, how how has a person like this functioned in society for yeah. so long? You would have mm -hmm. think something you would have thought something like this would have happened to a previous boyfriend or whatever with how unstable she is yeah. by the end of the movie. Mm, I think it is also sort of this I think this movie came out before like people's perceptions changed about the idea of the other woman. Like I definitely feel like at the moment yeah. if you know, if there's a story, like a real life anecdote or a fictional story about a guy cheating on his wife, generally, I think in today's society, we don't blame the other woman as much. No, like, exactly. He broke a contract. Like he was the one that was married. She just exactly. like was there, you know. And then, like he just assumes that she understands his like this like you know silent verbal contract that i don't fucking care about you and you if you have feelings that's on you you know the classic thing of just being like he shames her for being emotional um yeah and you know like it's this is like a really personal like you know one of the more personal things that i've shared on the podcast but like as someone who has been an experience that was like you know had infidelity in it that like was really affecting to me the part of the movie that I most wish it would go down is that he positions her as this like demon evil woman and I'm like wouldn't it be amazing to see a movie where you see a guy be like the woman is evil like she's crazy she's a crazy bitch and then at the end we see from like her perspective obviously because the movie goes the like thriller crazy horror like angle it doesn't do that as much but like we see from her perspective that she's a human and like for him to protect his own self-interests he just positioned her as evil like that's again just things that they couldn't tackle at this time clearly but I just think yeah I, I yeah it's just it's such a disappointing movie to me because I think I think it's ri so ripe for 
a remake. I think you could really interestingly talk about these things now. Um, and I also like, I think, I think it's got such a big win in so many other elements. Like I think Adrian Lin, like I watched Jacob's Ladder the other day, which is another film he directed. And I think he's like really strong director. I love, we joked about the hair and stuff, but I actually love like the design in other elements. I love, um, like there's kind of like lots of deal with the devil imagery in this movie. Like I love her apartment Mm. and the like elevator, like going up, like how like it's like underneath this like dark bridge and, and all that. And like, there's um, like hobos around the fire and stuff. And just like, I think the imagery in the film is really strong. And I think he also does really good scene work. Like I love the first restaurant scene. Um, uh, Right. You know, where like it's it's when Alex and Michael Douglas, I don't know his character's name, they they have Dan lunch. Gallagher. <laughs> they um, they have lunch together. And it it feels like so authentically what a situation like that would be where you're flirting but you're married, so you're not openly saying flirtatious things, but yes, you're essentially you can feel like the pressure of people around them watching them and being like, I wonder how they're being perceived. Yeah, it's really good work. Like, it's very well A little done. moment, yeah, a little moment that I really love is when Alex goes to his house and, like, he arrives home and sees her chatting with his wife and mm. while the wife is, like, she ducks away to, like, you know, write a note, write down her phone number or something, Alex and... <laughs> Dan Gallagher. Damn they like man. have like a second of eye contact and Glenn Close is so good at like non-verbally saying like I'm here bitch like that's yes. right like you can't you can't yell at me now like you can't get mad at me for being here because I'm in front of your like beautiful family that you told me about like yes even later it's such on a victorious moment and I don't think it should be really yeah it's so true even later on there's it's when the movie is being problematic now and horrible but um there's a like a wordless fight. Michael Douglas comes over and is uh, like abusing her, like hitting her and they're like fighting. And once they've stopped, they just like stand and look at each other. And yeah, I don't know. One of those movies where whenever it works, the flip side of it is how much more effective that would have been if we had a more textured telling of Mm. that Michael Douglas isn't this great family man, you know? Like, I think there's really some, I, I, I think there's a really interesting choice directorially where once he's like, oh, I have to cut this off, and now he's like, I love my family again, blah, blah, and he's back to his family, the movie fully reflects almost his psyche in that he's trying to push her out. Like, the movie pretends, like, we've forgotten about her, we don't see her, and when we do, we see her so briefly and it's like really well put together to give you the sense that someone is literally like, okay, that part of life is done. I chuck it away. Yeah. But again, there's just never any responsibility on his shoulders. Mm. It's always implied that he deserves to be able to move on like this. And, and yeah. And, and also yeah. like, I just don't think it's a very um, healthy portrait of mental illness on, on her behalf. Like right. I, I, well, I've, maybe the original ending wouldn't have helped that though. Yeah, should we talk you, about the original? Like aware of it? Yeah, yeah. Ending? yes. Yeah, which is like oh, another, makes more sense. Yeah, and it's like that's more her mo to like self destruct and hurt him that way. Like obviously, I don't know how I feel about it in terms of like like you're saying no representation, 
But mm. throughout the whole movie, they're always like, I love Madden Butterfly, you love Madden Butterfly. And then you expect the Madden Butterfly ending to happen that she kills herself and it doesn't. And it's like, that does feel like a reshoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's a weird element to this that um, I was reading about how Glenn Close says, I never know how to feel when I have my entire life had men come up to me that say, you saved my marriage. I hate that. I hate that because it impl- like that is the problem with this film is the implication that yeah. men shouldn't cheat because women they might be crazy kind of evil vixens. Female boogeyman. Yes, to rather stop than them from just being awful. rather than that you should fix your fucking marriage that you know like <sighs> just like in in this movie it never reconciles with why he would want to cheat. It only sets up his wife and child as like incredible and him having this perfect home life and then it literally just implies that sometimes men fall through the cracks and have to cheat and that when that happens they should be able to get back up but like no like cheating comes from like a problem like that's at the root of something and i absolutely bet that the men in real life who came up to her saying that like they phrased it as like you saved my marriage implying obviously that the marriage has ended but i reckon the way that those marriages ended was this like complete antithesis of communication and them just like shutting down and being like no nah, we're not doing this anymore i'm Literally, not gonna tell you yes. why we're gonna change things because i've decided we're gonna change things rather than like we're gonna actually verbalize what's been going on here and make any attempts whatsoever completely to completely yeah i'm really like, i took it as being it's, a, it's essentially it like those men saying to her like you gave me the perfect get out of jail free card exactly like, that's essentially the <sighs> the emotion as if we need to give men more excuses that. to not communicate with yeah. their wives like come on sorry Liz, i you, took you it as saying? being like dude saying like i was gonna cheat but then i watched your movie and i was I gonna cheat I but then i saw your movie and i was like she might kill me yeah exactly is it yeah i saw that as well I- yeah uh, I just like the idea that someone comes up to her and says that uh, you saved my marriage and she lectures them about like the true meaning of fatal attraction and why they're wrong. And then they're just like, I just meant I got a Dalmatian. I really loved you in 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, She doesn't really slap in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. She is very good in that movie. So with the Emma Stones playing that in the new one. Anyway, um. Uh, yeah, I don't know. My, I think it's interesting that like when we say fatal attraction, people think of the bunny boiler scene and things like that. But I love that we've, for this podcast, like all we really want to talk about is how it reflects, yeah, cheating and infidelity. I think it says something interesting about like, you know, how our relationship to different genders and stuff has, has changed that at the time this was nominated for so many things and like i i think it's a really good movie i do but i think i think it's kind of an interesting time capsule to go like this is how men Mm. think that they are justified in acting the way they do because you know just like all hollywood does they can be victimized yeah completely like this is him just being like i'm the victim here and even though yes this character i love that like I, I love the idea that, you know, he he didn't invest in who she was so he didn't actually know that she had these problems and that he was furthering them and, and like, triggering them and making them more immense. But it doesn't have anything to say beyond that. And in turn, I think this movie's message is genuinely harmful. I think it is harmful to say, as you said, like now we say you don't blame the other woman, you blame the man because he was the one that had the contract of marriage and stuff. Um, and I think the movie's message is literally just 
Some people Don't are so fucking. Some people are so fucking crazy that you might slip into their web, into their. You might get a bad one while yeah. you're being awful. That it. That it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll shut I up think now. I'm happy that we've. I'm really happy that we've wrapped things up without talking about the bunny boiler thing, like you said. Yeah. Um. But there was like a line that I only noticed on this watch that I thought was really clever, where early on, when. Um, Dan's starting to realize just how clingy Alex is. He's like, oh, you wouldn't want to hang out with me today. Like I've got my annoying dog with me and like I've got to put together dinner. And she's like, no, don't be silly. I love cooking. I love animals. And it's like, you love cooking animals? Yeah, Uh-oh. it's so good. Like, yeah. That was fun. For it is a good reference. I yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Max, know. A do very complicated other- one that I'm no- I know I'll be watching for the rest of my life. I literally have seen it so many times for some reason. Why um, have you seen it so many times? I don't know. It's one of those ones where, like as a kid when you're getting into movies and like you're going down all those like lists of like top no, 100 films and stuff. Yeah, it is. It's on all those lists. That's how I yeah, watched it. Yeah, but not it. as a child. You're like, yeah, I got to watch. Well, not as like a baby, yeah. but like, I don't know. I've just watched it a lot. Okay. Gotta watch Michael Douglas get sexually tortured. Yeah, Must that's it for right all. there. All aspiring film students. <laughs> best subgenre. Yeah. If you can't work in that genre, just quit, man. Just yeah. get out of here. Exactly. Yes. Oh, my um, God. Would you, uh, slight sidebar, um, I would argue that that uh, Jennifer Lopez movie from a couple of years ago, The Boy Next Door, is a gender swapped remake. What's the. What? To a degree. I yeah, I guess so. I yeah, it's a Bloomhouse well, movie it. where is it uh, Bloomhouse? Jennifer, oh my God, that's so sad. I think it's Bloomhouse. Yeah, I think, J- or at least Jason Bloom's a producer like on produced it. Produced or something. Yeah, Jennifer Lopez is Jennifer Lopez. Uh, not, um, I'm sure she has a character name. She's not Whatever. actually Jennifer Lopez. And um, yeah, she ends up hooking up. She has like a family, but she ends up hooking up with this like hot neighbor boy Ooh, yeah. who ends up being psycho. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, I, don't know, I think there's something really cool to like, you know, we love at the moment the thing like it's really hot to make a horror film about like hot social topics and stuff. I think that there's a, something really cool to you essentially have this it start very similarly with like the guy and he is married and he has sex with a woman and then she starts to like want stuff and he's like, oh, what the hell? This wasn't part of it, blah, blah, blah. And for a while it acts like his perspective is correct. And then when yeah. he tells her or something, he's like, what the fuck? That's fucked up. You, that is your fault. It's like you, and then we see maybe him become the bad guy and him try to like kill her or something because he's like, you ruined my life or something. Like, I think yeah. there's a really interesting like way you could flip it in that like she may still be unhinged or mentally ill. Yes. But that is just a vessel for him to position her further as this crazy person that ruined his life rather than it being that he made mistakes. Yeah. And cast Glenn Close as like a therapist or something in it. Oh, a classic. Mm. We love, we love it. Yay. Sweet. Let's move on to basic instinct, shall we? Basic Instinct is a 1992 erotic thriller and it's the second Paul Verhoeven movie we've watched for this podcast after Showgirls, one of my favourite movies of all time. And a couple of nights ago, um, Max and I actually watched a documentary about Paul Verhoeven and the making of Showgirls and stuff and it's made me just rethink so much about Basic Instinct and Mm. a similar thing that we talked about in the Showgirls episode about how Verhoeven will 
use incredible violence and explicit sex in his movies and people only really seem to object to the sex and they love the violence. Yeah. All of his films are just wildly interesting. Like Starship Troopers is all-timer for me as well, yeah. Yes. And this was written by the guy who wrote Showgirls as well, Joe Esterhaz, and it's about Catherine Trammell, who's a novelist played by Sharon Stone in her big breakout role, and she's accused of killing one of her boyfriends with an ice pick and yet again Michael Douglas is a sleazy guy who's kind of chasing after her while trying to uncover the murder and figure it all out and things really turn into a neo-noir worthy of one of Catherine's books, (laughs) Sharon Stones' (laughs) books. Yeah. And one thing I didn't realise, like I've never seen this movie, I've (laughs) from seeing like I think edited versions of that famous scene on TV Same, and yeah. from seeing like the Simpsons and stuff. Hmm. I didn't realize you actually like see her genitals and it kind yeah. of shocked me. I was like, I didn't realize that could like impact someone's. Yeah. In an did. interview a few years ago, there's actually like a lot of behind the scene or like background to this movie that like we should talk about. Cause like this movie in, in cinema history is so fascinating. It's success and like it's yes. place and it's notoriety and stuff. That scene um, in an interview, Sharon Stone um, said that she, like in 2004 or something, she finally said, she's like, I didn't have, I didn't give consent for that. And that yeah. it was filmed without her knowledge. And there's and lots of- And that Paul Verhoeven told her it would be like edited out or like blurred over or something. And it very clearly isn't. Yes, exactly. And there was also lots of, um, there was lots of uh, controversy and protests around the film's depiction of bisexual people, as well as that there is a rape scene that we'll talk about. Um, I think it's, I think it's an interesting one to talk about. Like it, it's blatantly rape and it's r- very inappropriate, but I think it's position in the film, like, and like what this film is and what it says about like sexual violence makes it one that we still have to talk about now for how far we've come. Um, but my biggest thing whenever I think about this movie is like, it is wild that, you know, Every year, a Marvel movie is the highest grossing film of the year. In 1992, this movie was the fourth highest grossing film. This movie got so much money. And literally, I think about, like, the true crime thing now. And I'm like, all of that comes from this era of, like, erotic thrillers where people loved to just go to a cinema and feel weird and horny and scared at the same time. It's so and also weird. Just things being made distinctly for adults, being like, we need to get a babysitter. Like tonight, mum and dad are going out exactly to going to the movies. And like, exactly, yeah, there exactly. is no movie like that out now. Where like, I would not bring my kids to this. Maybe like Midsummer or some Bloomhouse thing. Yeah, but, but that's even just like horror movies and shit. Yeah, because this literally, this movie was so successful that that was the whole Showgirls thing. Where like, at the time, this was the most um, expensive screenplay of all time. Like, it was the most anyone had ever spent studio had spent on a screenplay and it did this was like so well so they're like what do you want to do joe and he was like um showgirls please <laughs> yeah it's pretty wild and it, like i don't know I, I sometimes think like what we're talking about now and like the making of the movie and all of its controversy and its impact is more interesting than the movie itself <laughs> like the yeah it's like it was my first time watching it and it sort of sometimes just felt like to me like a 40s noir but with all the 
implicit sexuality just made explicit. Like yeah. it's just like, oh, you know, now that totally. it's 1992, yeah. we can have a scene in a club and we can have our hero be openly gay and like kiss a yeah. girl and stuff. It's a really good point, Which, yeah. As we heard from The Big Sleep, that stuff is all kind of happening in the background, but it just had to be a lot more. It just had to be cheeky and about. sly. Yeah, good point. I love when we watch a thing and it gets to comment on a thing we've already watched and stuff. Yeah, I think this movie has a very similar thing to my um, Triplet in the Attic, that everything surrounding the way the plot functions is amazing, but the plot itself is like aping things that actually like did cool stuff with the plot. Whereas these ones are just like, res- you, they clearly respect them and it doesn't really like, it's mm-hmm. kind of incidental to it. Like, you know, it, 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 as you said, like it feels, it's got like lots of Hitchcockian um, like vibe to the like mystery, like the neo-noir sensibility of it and stuff. But it's just overtly about sex and all of that is like right at the yeah. forefront. Yeah, should Did we talk? Did you find that oh, sorry, Max? Like you found the story was kind of thin, and it just yeah, the story is stylish. Yeah, the story is definitely clearly just a vehicle to get to the really titillating, explicit moments. But I think I think it works well for what it is, honestly. Yeah, same. Um, Do you think it's possible to like like and enjoy this movie? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, that's a dumb question because it's like hmm. it's Verhoeven. He's gonna make something entertaining. But like, yeah. there is like a genuine seediness to this movie that I think, like, you know, we recently watched the Don't Fuck with Cats true crime series on Netflix. Mm. Yeah, that guy enjoyed it. Yeah, there was literally a, a murderer who was inspired by this film and saw himself in the Sharon Stone character. And I think just like, I don't know the way mm-hmm. the movie positions those characters. Yeah, I, I makes think it also unsavory. <laughs> You know what? I would argue, uh, well, I guess we'll get to this in comparing the picks, but I would argue that this film is more respectful of of the topics it attempts to tackle than uh, Fatal Attraction. I kind of agree. But, yeah. I mean, this this also is just clearly less cerebral than Fatal Attraction and just really relishes in its schlocky moments, like, of course, the yeah. uh, Sharon Stone leg cross, but... The, but there's also the part that no one talks about during the Sharon Stone leg crossing scene, and that's uh, the the close up of Newman from Seinfeld, and he's just <laughs> like sweating really, profusely. That was really hot to you. I mean, Newman I mean, just, yeah, yum. yeah. I really think that's that's the bit that really does it for me. It's just like watching watching yeah. the the beads of sweat form on Newman's face. Wayne Knight. Uh, yeah, on Wayne Knight. I mean, well, I know, we to- gave um. Sorry, no, you go. Oh, so sorry. I, I, I was just going to say to me, like, I I think I think I have to like openly, actively say it is inappropriate and completely wrong that Sharon Stone did not have permission, was not, yeah, it's um, disgusting. did not request that, as well as that there's a rape scene that the film clearly doesn't recognize as rape as much as it should. Those are both completely dated and offensive. Um, but I think... The data gender politics are there because the movie, to me, the thing that it's about that's so interesting to me is like, this is like when it's funny on the podcast when I'm like talking about stuff like this with like my sister, but I think it's interesting to be like, I'm going to make a movie about kind of the weird thing that is present in sex where it's like the power dynamics mm-hmm. and like what yeah. that is to be like, I'm going to make a, a thriller about that. Like that's truly what an erotic thriller is to be like, what 
is that element to it. And that's what it's about. And I think, I think the Michael Douglas character is so much better in, in this because yeah, in, oh, what did I write? In, in Fatal Attraction, Michael Douglas is a character who like doesn't know how to grapple with the fact that he's like imperfect and stuff. So it just, the movie pretends he isn't, but in Basic Instinct, it's about how he's living in denial that he's kind of a dick. Like it's about that he can't reconcile or he's afraid that he's violent and likes power and likes dominance. And he finds his match who loves exploring that with other people and how scary it is to be confronted with someone that wants to explore that with you. Yeah. I can't think of many other movies that are like not actual pornography that have this many characters that are just like, clearly thinking about sex 24 7 constantly anything they're doing whenever they're getting a beer okay yeah sorry super bad but like (laughs) if they're like smoking or something like whatever they're doing they will always make a sex pun whenever they visit each other's houses he's like oh they have two paintings her paintings bigger than his oh it's like guys please calm down they're just so thirsty i thought that was pretty subtle (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i I think it's so um Interest, like I, I think it, like the even though the like thriller mystery part, I don't adore. And actually, I'm speaking down to it too much. I, I can't wait to talk about the ending. I really love the ending, but um, I mm. think I like I love the writing of their relationship. Like the idea that he, so Michael Douglas's character has killed like four people before in the field or something like, and that it's all the thing that like everyone at the, you know, at the police station is like openly just like, Hey shooter. Like they act like they always <laughs> are like, you are like that. Like, and you know, he's been acquitted. He's irresponsible. He's been acquitted every time. And the thing that like when Sharon Stone's character sees him, she knows him because for her sex is kind of what that violence is to him. Like the weird correlation between that sex and violence, I think is really effectively written throughout the film. But as we said, because it's of an era where things were way more problematic, that sometimes isn't talked about. Like there are parts of the movie where that slips through in like an offensive and like reckless way. So early on, because he's so building, like he's building up with so much sexual energy, he, um, he, has sex with his uh like it's it's the therapist, therapist like the police everyone in this movie is so irresponsible or like yeah. unprofessional the police commission therapist who's supposed to say like oh yeah he's fit to work um and as they're like they're having sex really violently she says like as she start they start to do it he's like ripping off her clothes and she says no and not in a like screaming way where she's like slapping him away and stuff but in a way where it's clear she doesn't want to have sex like that, but they do. And then at the end of it, it's like cuts to the end of the sex. And she's like, you've never had sex with me before like that. Um, Mm. Which is a part where, you know, you go, oh, God damn it. This movie really could have written such a good line of like saying, having something interesting to say about sex and violence and stuff. But it, in this instance, in that scene, doesn't know how to do it without implying that that's okay, kind of. Because it doesn't really condemn it. Yeah, Is that fair to say? It doesn't condemn it, does it? Because that's like that scene no. was protested a lot. People were like, "This is rape," and we it, the movie doesn't treat it as such. Yeah, I just thought it was something we should bring up right. on the show that it, it isn't okay. Something funny that um, Max and I sort of disagreed on when we watched the movie together was the opening scene of the film 
is Catherine having sex with this guy, this rock star. Yeah. And taking out an ice pick and stabbing him in the chest. Oh, yeah. And then for the next two hours, you watch people being like, who killed the guy? And for me, I was like, well, they showed us that it was Sharon Stone. She killed and stuff. And Max was like, no, it was just a vision of like the easiest way to see that crime or whatever, right? They didn't like, show us it was no, her. I'm, no, they did. They Sorry, didn't. No, they, no. I, I just, I don't think they showed it was explicitly Sharon Stone. I agree completely. It's her face. I don't it's think, not her no, face. You don't see her face. What movie what? did you watch? Yeah, you don't but see her face. This is the best part of it. Okay, yeah. this this feeds into the ending, which is just so effective to me. There's a yeah, it's bit, pretty graceful. There's a bit ending. early on where the the <laughs> the teacher from Freaky Friday says. Like they're having a meeting about the killer and he says, he's like um, a psychologist, like analyzes killers. And he says, there are two options here. One is the killer is, because the whole thing in the movie is like the murders are reflecting what's in the books that Sharon Stone has written. Catherine's written. Yeah. So he says, there's two options. Either A, the killer is the person that wrote these books and she thinks it's a good alibi because then she can be like, why would I kill them in the way that I wrote them in the book? Or it's someone else that wants to position it to be her. It sets that up. And then the entire movie, down to every single little detail, which makes this a great one for rewatches I've been finding, with this being like my third or fourth, the entire movie, every piece of new information fits that it's either Catherine or it's the the therapist that um, he's been sleeping with as well. And by the end of the movie... You like every time I've watched it, I've thought it's a different person. Like that works so well to me that the movie sets up it could be these two people. It could be this person or this person. And then the whole movie, every single scene is a little detail where you're like, wait, that means it's her. And then there's another detail like, wait, that means it's her. Like one this time I caught um I can't remember what it is. I think it's like the therapist arrives at the apartment or something and he's like, Why is oh no, he arrives at her apartment and he's like, Why is the door open? And she's like, oh, the door's broken. And then he finds stuff inside his drawer. And it's like, oh, oh my gosh, it was her. But then it could easily have also been Sharon Stone. I just think that works well yeah. for me too. I don't know about you guys. Mm. Yeah. Well, where, yeah, where do you land? Do you think the killer might have just been someone unrelated and the ice pick at the end is meant to be like, well, it's something that they both kind of just have to live with that Sharon Stone might have killed this guy. Like, they're literally just going to sleep on top of this secret. I think it's literally um, ambiguous. I think it's whatever you want it to be. And I like to I like to think that it's it's Sharon Stone probably. I think it's so fun, the yeah. ice pick ending. It's killer. Uh, on on one hand, I, I, I think it might be supposed... I, I might... It might supposed to be ambiguous, but on the other hand, I also think this film's has a negative amount of subtlety and then the the end just implies that wow she is the killer but michael douglas is so good at sex that she's not going to do it this time (laughs) that that he's just a stud from all his practice with with glenn close something i love that you pointed out was when they went to that weird church club which looks so fun i want to go there so much oh Um, yeah that was wearing a shaggy costume yeah he's dressed like shaggy during that scene (laughs) he He has like a a green v-neck (laughs) t-shirt i love it um i feel like we we (laughs) should get on to (laughs) zoinks zoinks catherine like zoinks shaggy (laughs) (laughs) as he gets ice picked yeah 
Um, we should we should probably roll on to comparing the picks. But so, um, since we talked a lot about Glenn Close, I just wanted to wrap up quickly. How do you guys feel about the Sharon Stone character? Because I actually was on her side too, which is a similarity I had in both of these movies. Yeah, to me, this like eighties coked up version of Hitchcock works so well for me because I go literally like what is the 80s version of like a femme fatale from like the you know 40s and 50s and stuff and I think it's exactly this I think it's that power woman yeah she's self-made she like fucks everything that moves she's (laughs) so it's it's so I think it's like really hard to act actively through like being mysterious and sexy. Like I think it's really easy for an actor to look inactive when they're being someone who has a lot going on behind the eyes and all they say is like lies and like veiled versions of the truth. And I think she does it so Mm -hmm. well. Like I think she really captures the thing that every single word inside she's thinking something completely different or she's like learning something or analysing something or plotting something. I think... It, for some for a role that like anyone else could make look pretty lazy, it's like explosive. Yeah, I love it. You liked it, Max? Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. I like yeah. that she fucks with the cops and will like throw them off and be like unhelpful to them. Yeah, just unhelpful. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen really uncomfortable pictures of um? There's a bunch of pictures of her of Sharon Stone, like at like theme parks and restaurants and stuff and like people are taking pictures with her and they have Sharon Stone like the picture of her with her legs crossed on their shirt like a bunch of people <laughs> apparently have this shirt that like is Sharon Stone with her like from the famous scene what a dumb shirt I know and then she just like takes uh, like she's like posing for pictures with them and I'm just like that would be so awkward <laughs> like knowing that they've seen the movie you know obviously everyone's seen the movie but She's also really yeah. weird now. Did you see she posted some thing on Twitter? Did you send that to me? I thought you sent that to uh, me. Uh, was it was it like her at the pool or something during quarantine? It's her being like, here are tips if violent looters break into your house. And everyone was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, honey. What were the tips? <laughs> I don't know. It was like how to barricade your door and stuff. Join them. <laughs> yeah, join them. Yeah, literally. Get on the streets. Yeah. And she just like looks... She kind of looks like what Catherine would be down the line, like now. Like it makes mm. it's yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. All right. I I I don't know. I mean, I always feel a bit weird about female characters and stuff with like such an obvious male gaze where they're like, I love to fuck. And it's like, yeah. oh look, she's so empowered. And it's like, yeah, but you empowered her in your way like she's not organically like that but like yeah i think at least she's misogynistic in a very watchable compelling way and she always does seem a step ahead of michael douglas which is cool i agree again i think with both of these movies we have progressed to a point in understanding men and women like the relationships and how that can be healthy but also like the darker elements of that that can verge on unhealthy or something that means that we could remake these in a way that's still erotic and naughty and exciting, but not dangerous or reckless. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Let's start. Let's start. Let's writing do it. Scripts. Yeah, exactly. Yay. You guys got to write first, it. First, we got to compare the picks. Woo! The ice picks. Ooh! 
Now it is time to compare the picks. Both films about Michael Douglas, both star-making roles for the women in these movies, Glenn mm-hmm. Close and Ms. Sharon Stone. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Max, do you want to, I, I, can I guess which movie you'll, you like more? Sure, I don't think it's a particularly hard guess. It's 50-50. I think you liked Basic Instinct more, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. Why? Eliza, what do you think I liked more? I think you uh, I think you like Basic Instinct more as well. I do, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. What does this say about this boys club we've got going? Yeah, wow. Dudes rock. Dudes rock. <laughs> that's the moral of both movies if you think Dudes about it. Dudes are really good exclusively. And they could do what they want. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of dudes, say- sorry, this is really random. Have you seen the TikTok of the Lonely Island at the Dude Choice Awards? It's no. so funny. They get asked all these questions. Is that real like, Dude's Choice Awards? That's Spike a real TV thing. The Dude Choice have, Awards. Like, the Men's Choice Awards. Oh. Yeah, or and something. they get they're like everything is a Men's Choice Award. Literally, they get asked on the carpet. They're like, um, so like, how do you feel at the Dude Choice Awards? And they're like, uh, we think this is ridiculous. Men literally get whatever they want. There's no need we need to be celebrated. We're here to promote our album. It's so funny. And they're like, <laughs> it's so, the question's also so cringe. They're like, one of them's like, what's the movie this year that you're most anticipating? And he's like, anticipating isn't a thing. There's anticipation. And I'm really looking forward to The Hobbit. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh it's amazing. God. Yeah, you have to watch it. Anyway. That's about men being That's bad. That's wild. Okay, onwards, sorry. <laughs> um, one thing I was going to say is Basic Instinct mm-hmm. classes itself as a neo-noir and mm. I think, like you said, Noah, it definitely has those Hitchcock touches, especially Vertigo because it's set in San Francisco. I and think the house. And they the house, stone, I the think little chignon hairstyle. I think her apartment is the same. I, it's like, you, you know, really? like in um, Vertigo... I can't remember whose house it is, but it's like the white, not the beach house, like the the white house on like the hill. I, uh, it's, if I it's not, it looks identical it. to the one in Vertigo. Like it's such Vertigo vibes. Probably, anyway, it's probably yes. def- on purpose. Yeah. Um, anyway. Whereas I don't think you get that noir feel at all from Fatal Attraction. I think it's a lot less of a stylized movie and it feels more like a character drama than any stylized like genre movie. I right? agree. I think I think I am always surprised though by how much the direction works for me in Fatal Attraction, but more so in the sense of like scene work and stuff. But as I said, I think this is a really cool, like I think the way that like the 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 deal with the devil thing, I don't know, stuck out to me this time with her apartment and like um like how a lot of that looks and like their house like that they buy and stuff. I think it's obviously not stylized like Basic Instinct is, but I think it still is like a, a quite a stylish movie. But definitely that movie's success mm. more lies in like scene work and and direct how the actors and how the actors interact. Yeah. Yeah. Eliza it's does also, the oh, sorry, after you Max. Oh, I was just gonna say it's also one of these things that I think um basic instinct is so since it just by genre-wise, it's so much more of a pulpy, uh, mm. almost yeah. B picture. It's just implicitly more entertaining than Fatal Attraction, which is really made to make you prestige, kind of thi- mildly prestige. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's it, it kind of it's supposed to make you think. Yeah, like, in a way that Basic Instinct doesn't, and I think um, that actually helps Basic Instinct on a um, subtextual level. Um, I think Basic Instinct is a more um, sex positive movie. Mm. Yeah, than um, than Fatal Attraction by far. Uh, it, Sharon Stone's character, what's her name again? Catherine Tremel. Catherine Tremel. She is the femme fatale, but she not only comes up uh, comes out on top she's never punished really in any way that is typical of the genre which i think in its own really interesting right is uh, a little groundbreaking but the therapist lady who in a lot of noir they'll have like a femme fatale and a good girl yeah and Mm -hmm. in basic instinct she falls into the role of a girl and she gets very sidelined and punished and stuff yeah like it's still getting positions that she might be the bad guy as well with like that whole neutrality thing as well she's that's such an interesting point max that i think about like woven into fatal attraction because it's not the story it's telling it depicts the affair sex in the affair as like visceral and crazy and like animalistic and then because he goes back to his wife and like that is safe and soft and nice it it almost positions that like being like uh honest or like being self-aware of your own sexuality is isn't a thing that it's like you know you're either like crazy and sexy and being bad or you're like a family man Doing being right good thing. whereas basic instinct just presents people as sexual people like everyone is sexual to varying degrees and that that can exist there isn't like a marriage element you know in in basic instinct but i think it's an interesting yeah. thing to say that like fatal attraction never makes the point that it should make that like whatever he was looking for in his in his affair he could have found that in his marriage he could have brought mm. yeah like because they have a new like a young a young daughter obviously you know i'm sure the sex isn't like what it, like they didn't have sex as much as they used to and stuff that why couldn't like the the another point the movie should have been making is that you can still be a sexual being just as much as you as if you were single or like a family like even though you're a family man you know yeah it that really doesn't come into Fatal attraction at all. Yeah, it um, just positions like if you're having really fun sex, you're a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, you can't compare these movies without um, raising the question, who is best girl? <laughs> yeah, they literally are so similar. Question. It's wild. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Who are the contenders? What do you mean? Sharon Stone? Sharon Stone versus Glenn Close. Glenn what Close? about versus the wife and the and the therapist? Ooh, as well? fun. Okay. Ooh. Wait, is this like death match is... or is this like writing? Oh. <laughs> like, are we pitting them against each other? Who would win? No, Who would? Okay, like, well, let's do death match. Like Who the would bachelor, win? Like yeah. Which girl? This, you this, this is like Tinder. Okay, Tinder. Well, okay. Um, Tinder. I think. I mean. Sharon's well. Sharon, I, I like Catherine more. Bo- as both a are involved with, yeah. Both are involved in the book industry. Funny enough, yeah. Weird. Okay, Catherine, and they both I, wear white all the time. Yeah, they do. Which is ironic because they white both is are like white. Virginal character. I mean, they both are white. Yeah, they both are white. Catherine's a better character. <laughs> Glenn Close is a better actress, and uh, Catherine would win in a death match. Mm. Do That's you also vote. think it's a 
Do you also think it's a missed opportunity that they haven't gotten together Glenn Close's character from Guardians of the Galaxy with Michael Douglas and Ant-Man? Oh, I hate I literally have that never I thought about that. that for a single fucking second. It's <laughs> horrible. Oh, they should do a Freddie v. Jason style Catherine V. Alex. Wow. Michael Douglas. What if it's like his second <laughs> life, you know? He's also a cop in San Francisco. Wow. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up and just say I'm going to go for Fatal Attraction. There you go. Yeah, while we've started talking about this gender thing, it has reminded me of a quote from Margaret Atwood that sums up the power of Fatal Attraction to me. It's not a perfect movie, but it's a movie that made me think about this great quote, which is, fallen women are women that have fallen and hurt themselves on men. And I think Fatal Attraction, like, embodies that quote in a really interesting way where it's like, you're ready to watch a movie about a woman being awful and scary and... I don't know how intentional it is or like whether it's been botched in this <laughs> like in this retelling and this reshoot of the ending but I think it is it does turn out to be a movie about Glenn Close being broken by a guy in a Madam Butterfly way. Also, another quick thing, I hate how when they're on a date or whatever they're listening to Madam Butterfly and she's like, "You like this opera?" and he's like, "It's my favorite." She's like, "It's my favorite too." And then he explains the plot to her. And it's like, "It's her favorite opera. She knows what the plot is." Yeah, anyway. very true. It's a good point. What See, it does that? all those, it writes him like that yeah, because it doesn't insane. get that that's why guys suck. Like it actually is just a dude writing that and being like, yeah, yes. I'm like, that's bad. Um, <sighs> yes, Did you well, hear Max just say Ant-Man splaining? <laughs> now <where>? you know. <laughs> you literally spent a lot of time like you should be in like a writer's room for like James Corden or some shit. You spent a lot of time oh. cracking oh. shit. That's so weird. That's right. I didn't say Stephen Colbert. I didn't give you a good. I was like James Corden. That's what you get. My eyes just started bleeding. Thanks. <laughs> you would take that job though. Yeah, I'd take that job. <laughs> <laughs> James, if you're listening. <laughs> James, please couple please. karaoke with me. Let's let's take a ride. Let's talk. Um, Sing Madam Butterfly. Yeah. Um, oh my god, that'd be the worst. Um, okay, my vote is for Basic Instincts. Uh, I, as Max articulated really well, I think it's more sex positive and I think I think both of these movies are grappling with something that we didn't know how to grapple with completely, like, um, politically correctly yet, and I think they both wobble a lot. I think Basic Instinct wobbles wobble, less, wobble. Um, which also is related to personal experience. Like, I think the themes that are present in Fatal Attraction – are huge to me. Like I find them so interesting. I tackle them. My dog's barking. I tackle them every day in like my life about like my experience. This dumb dog. Do I talk oh passionately over the dog barking? Absolutely. Okay. The dog just gives you a sense of the power and gravitas of these movies. Um, I find those <laughs> themes really compelling in movies and Fatal Attraction's failures in that regard I feel more. Whereas Basic Instinct to me is talking about a cool thing you don't see much which is like what is that like erotic like what is the presence of sex and like power and dominance that i think is really cool and interesting and i like the character and the writing more and i think it's more stylish um as i already said or implied or whatever a basic instinct is also my pick i think it's a much 
more consistent movie all the way through and yeah. uh yeah i think it's just more entertaining and um holds up a, a little better I, mm-hmm. I still think fatal attraction is is a great movie but I yeah. I, with the reshot ending and everything um I think that takes it down a few points. And also, even if the ending wasn't reshot, I, I don't know how much I could get behind just like rewatching or having friends over and being like, let's watch this movie where uh, Glenn Close just like sadly kills herself at the end. That's very true. I think I, in my pretentiousness, did not clock on enough to just the fact that Basic Instinct is just much more, as you said, entertaining. Like it's a funner movie to watch. Um, it, mm. I was, yeah, I'm with it all the way through. But do they ever say it was Basic Instinct in Basic Instinct? No, they don't. There's a deleted scene. I don't remember them saying Fatal Attraction in Fatal Attraction. That's so funny. They probably don't. They don't. That would be kind of clunky if it was just like, it's like some kind of. Wait, you do the voice, you do it. I feel like like one of us should watch Fatal Attraction. Great. I feel like one of us should watch this Fatal Instinct thing. Yeah. I'm fascinated by it. It's Leslie Nielsen, right? Which means it has to be somewhat good. Is it Leslie Nielsen? I think he's in it. Yeah, he probably is. Yeah, I think I think so. It feels like a Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Anyway. Well, either way, dudes do truly rock. You guys won with Basic Instinct. Yes. Aye! Dudes, dude power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm wrong, actually. Um, Leslie Nielsen isn't in that movie, but yeah, we'll in. watch it anyway. It has a pretty funny After. poster. I giggled. <laughs> um, oh, let me see the poster. Uh, it's really like, fast. Um, do you guys feel that the ending to Basic Instinct that really does feel like a Paul Verhoeven ending that like I could easily have seen in a Dutch movie as well, like where it was just like, oh, he's so good, at, you know, she, he's he's just so good that she doesn't kill him. I really do feel like that was a Ver, <laughs> that's a Verhoeven thing. He's or, like, or, this is also how people feel, feel when I have sex with them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think we should go upstairs and, and check on our little crazy triplet in the attic before she kills somebody. Oh. Right? Hi. <laughs> okay, let's go. It's time for Triplet in the Attic, where we each got to pick a deformed, rejected little third piece of media that we think acts as a thematic triplet to the episode's twin picks. Noah, would you like to be the first? Yes, I would. I have quite an enthusiastic triplet in the attic for this one. Um, It is a horror, neo-noir, mildly giallo um, film that I've watched recently um called dressed to kill it's a brian de palma film and i i find it really interesting because it is literally like what if you did a hitchcock movie with all of the style and none of the effective plot like it literally is just like (laughs) every and every single review says the same thing they all say like the plot for this is like the the mystery is so obvious it but like <laughs> the style with which it's presented makes it as exciting as if it wasn't. It easily has the best sequence Brian De Palma has ever directed. Like, and he openly oh loves God. it as well. It has a murder that, like, an elevator murder that is like watching it was like I didn't want to blink. It's so tense and like 
so cleverly made. I think De Palma is an interesting one, like part of that. Cause like, what's that group? Like the, the new, new age. Yeah. New group. Hollywood. Yeah. New Hollywood group. So like him and Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola, right? Those four. Is that right? Yeah, I think Scorsese gets lumped in there. And as Scorsese, well. yeah, yeah, gets lumped in there, there as well. Like De Palma's the one who always like he he doesn't have as much like I don't know, like he isn't as much like a household name, I guess, like a lot of those other guys are. But every one of his he movies didn't ever he, really have that like one movie that he doesn't have really the one well. movie, even though he's directed a bunch of stuff that everyone knows. He doesn't he isn't like the guy for um in a lot of people's minds, but he literally just like it, it's the most effective latching onto the Hitchcock style that I've ever seen outside of Hitchcock. Um, and it's, yeah, it was really worth my time. I would, I would recommend it. I mm. think it's really great. Dress to kill. Max, do you remember when we watched the De Palma documentary and he like annoyed yeah. the shit out of you? Yeah. It's yeah. pretty funny. I heard it just was, anything, I, I hear that documentary is quite good. It's a good doco, but he just seems like such a grumpy bastard. <laughs> and like, Every basically anything in film history from when he was around, he takes credit for. Like he'll be like, "Yeah, I helped Marty out." Like so when Scorsese was making Taxi Driver, I was like, "You know, why don't you have him talking in a mirror?" And uh, he did that for me. And most people don't know that was me, but uh, yeah, it was. And he just has an anecdote like that for every successful movie of the seventies and eighties. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think so, Brian. <laughs> yeah, it was also weird when he talked about uh, writing the portal scene for Avengers Endgame. Stop. <laughs> when it was stop <laughs> this documentary was made like, like seven years ago. <laughs> Horrible. What a man. Max, it's your turn. No, no, it's your turn. You go. It's my turn? It. Yeah, you go. I'll go last. Okay. Yours is that good that you're saving it. Sure. <laughs> you're saving for last. My, yeah, my triplet in the attic is a French-Belgian erotic thriller because Americans, man, they're so freaking puritanical. They just, they want their, even their erotic thrillers are a little bit sanitized and stuff. Whereas the French, this movie freaking starts with the shot of a vagina and the movie is called Double Lover and it's (laughs) super crazy, soap opera-y, identical twin nonsense about a woman who's in love with this like nerdy guy and his identical twin who is like a macho guy. And that sounds silly and that happens like 20 minutes in and it just gets so much silly from there. And it's available on SBS On Demand. So anyone around the world can watch it for free, which is great. That sounds great. Double lover. That's I was saying before to Anthony, we should probably be better. Well, we should be better about saying where you can stream things and get them and stuff. But I don't know about you. I'm pretty naughty most of the times about how I get mine. So (laughs) I I don't do that, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. In the links for this, maybe I'll link to like where you can actually watch stuff instead of just just be better about trying. Well, if, if it's available on a thing, we'll let you know if, yeah, how, how to get it. Okay. We can do that. Okay, cool. (laughs) Where do you reckon our closest blockbuster is? Yeah. yeah, well, like go to Video Easy. Video Easy. Support brick and mortar stores. I miss everybody. Video Easy. <laughs> I really thought you just said support brick, brick and, and Morty stores. <laughs> brick and Morty stores. Didn't I ah. though? <laughs> um, actually, there's a. This is quite funny. There's a um, one of the only blue like rental stores still available in Melbourne. It's called um, like it's. I think it's called Network Video, and then underneath Network Video, it says my dot 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 home entertainment store and we always joke that i'm like is it like a front for the mafia and they're like my um 
Home entertainment, home entertainment store, store. If you know my what I money mean. Money laundering. I'm my laundromat. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? It's so weird. Like why? Yeah, but they're closing <laughs> down. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Tangent. Oh man, Max, it's your go. Okay, my triplet in the attic is the 1994 erotic thriller, also starring Michael Douglas. <gasps> Disclosure. It is directed by uh, Barry Levinson, and it is co-starring Demi Moore, and it is yet another movie about Michael Douglas getting sexually tortured in some way. Um, I really feel it. I, I really feel it fits in with these two movies. It's it's not nearly as good. Um, it is incredibly problematic, especially by today's standards, because the whole premise is um, Demi Moore uh, lies about uh, Michael Douglas sexually harassing her to get him in trouble. That is the plot of this that movie, fun. and wow. um, and uh, the poster for this movie is um, her kissing Michael Douglas while putting his hands on her butt. Okay. So wow. um, take that information as you will. The score is by Ennio Morricone. <gasps> oh, uh, nice. so that's wow. So that's something. Uh, it's also an adaptation of a Michael Crichton novel. Hmm. Oh wow! What the hell? So I also truly don't all, know about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's because it's it's not a great movie, but um, <laughs> but Ennio Morricone, uh, that's amazing. It, yeah, I mean it's it's okay, and it was a pretty a pretty successful movie at the time. Sick. So, I just yeah. feel like why would you? I, I know it's on theme, but when you want to recommend something you think people would really enjoy, or that no, you that's love, great. I think pe- no, that okay. applies why? so well to make the world a better place. Not just to talk about Demi Moore putting hands on her bum. Look, people are listening to this episode to listen to you guys talk about Michael Douglas gets sexually tortured. <laughs> I'm just giving the people what they want. That's true. Yeah. You I'm literally sorry, couldn't really fit the bill more. I'm so so I'm so happy you brought up um score Max because literally I wrote the very first note I wrote for Basic Instinct is that I love the music the theme is so good the very first thing i when i got spotify this is so random the very first thing i <laughs> ever liked was the basic instinct score ever that's disturbing oh, that's awesome. it's so pretty when it's like do 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 that's to great be... and a red flag <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's meant to be a rip on the vertigo score probably i don't know oh um Speaking of rip-offs of scores, I watched um when I watched In Search of Darkness, which is a documentary about 80s horror, Eliza, um, they spoke to Stuart Gordon about how the reanimator score is just oh. the psycho score. <laughs> Sped up. It's so cringe. Like it isn't even what like did an he homage. Say? He was like, Yeah, he was I wanted just like, like yeah, we sped an homage up. to Psycho because like we wanted like a really cool like title sequence and stuff. We wanted like a really thrilling opening. And he just went a bit too hard. <laughs> so oh funny. God. It's literally just the psycho it's score. It's uh, Classic. Okay. Wow. I've well, literally created like 40 extra minutes of random tangents this episode. It's very okay. clear we, we haven't, haven't done an episode a for a while. <sighs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Gotta get that content. It's all done I'm now. Sorry. We're finished. I'm so sorry. Before we go, I just have to say... Thank you to our audience for listening to this new episode of Twin Picks, the first one in a while. Mm-hmm. And we would love it if you haven't subscribed yet, if you could subscribe. And if you haven't left a review yet, if you could do so on Apple Podcasts or just spread the word verbally to people that, you know, are getting back to work and might want a cool new podcast to listen to on the train in this post-corona society. Um, 
feel free to shoot us an email at twinpixpodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like more young people talking about movies, why not check out roughcutfilm.com, which is the youth-oriented criticism website that I help put together. And I have an article on there soon about how good Uma Thurman is in Batman and Robin. Well, that sounds awesome. That's really cool. And um, if you would like to watch movies, well, we all like to watch movies. If you would like to watch the movies to catch up for next week's episode, we are talking about two movies that literally were the very, I wanted it to be the first episode we did. We've always, I don't know why we always keep pushing it back and back and back, just the way it works sometimes. Um, And I'm so excited. We're watching Seven Samurai and A Bug's Life. Wow, Max, I, you're not gonna you're not gonna be there that week. But what would be your pick? Seven Samurai or a That's a life? good point. Let's start doing that. I really like that. Yeah, Max, what would you be your pick? <laughs> um, it's it's a pretty tough one. It is. Uh, there. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm gonna have to go with um. I, wait, which which one's the animated one with the bugs? <laughs> That's a bug's life. Okay, I'm gonna go with Seven Samurai. Okay, but Seven Samurai, I need to remind All you, right. Seven Samurai doesn't have a big tubby like German caterpillar. German that caterpillar has a little butterfly wings. Heim- Heimlich. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but it all, but it does have Kevin Spacey. Yeah, he does have Kevin Spacey. Oh. It's very true. Yeah. He's a real villain. Yeah, he's the villain in the movie. Wow, IRL perfect, villain. perfect, perfect. Anyway, wow. what a well, joy! Thank you, thank you so much for coming on the show, Max. How lovely of you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Oh, no I like problem. when Max is on the show. He brings the funnies. Aw, <laughs> yeah. thanks. He does. And we'll put um, we'll put your bio below for James Corden to hit up. Yeah, <laughs> please, please link my Twitter. All right. <laughs> Great. I think that's it. All right. <laughs> okay, bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs> I love you. Bye.